Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Promos, Head of Institutional Content and Investment Magazine, and this is Market Narratives. This show is a series of unorthodox conversations with thought leaders influencing the world of fiduciary investors. For more related insights and analysis, please remember to check out our website, investmentmagazine.com.au, and subscribe for a free email. And with that, please enjoy this week's episode. My guest today is Michael Swinsberg, Managing Partner, Asia Pack at Alexander Hughes. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Alex. Great to be with you today. Thanks for the opportunity. It's okay. I thought today we would start with the um, you know, the reflections on the superannuation guarantee. We've, we were almost at, at 30 years. Um, maybe your early reflections given you know your time in the industry. Well, look, you know, uh, time in the industry. Um, those that know me uh, know I started in sort of wealth and asset management in the late 80s. Um, come through that, places like Macquarie and Citibank and Prudential into the late 90s, moving into executive search. So the last couple of decades, I've been working with leaders across the sector and really enjoying that, um, both placing them and uh, advising and leadership advisory. So that's very briefly my 30-year background, which coincides a lot with SG. Um, and what I've tried to write um, in, a, in an article I know you're going to publish shortly is that I've been sitting back in this COVID reflective time working from home like everybody else and thinking, gee, you know, I've, I've gone over 30, um, super's hitting 30, super's longer than 30, it's just SG super that's 30, coming up to 30 in 2022. Um, super's been around a lot longer than that, corporate super and 3% super was around in the 80s. Um, but, you know, we've, we've done a fantastic job, but I think a lot of us beat ourselves up particularly after the Royal Commission and those sorts of things a couple of years ago. But we've got to look at the big picture and say we've done a fantastic job. We can do better perhaps in cost, and I know um, uh, there'll there'll be uh, commentators about that. Um, But we've also got a great privilege that we work in this industry where we help members have better retirements, have have more um, a higher quality retirement, and without the early, early work done by, um, you know, the Labor government back in the early 90s and 80s, uh, and I see we're now moving into an, a new accord period, interestingly enough, um, uh, without the work coming out of that, uh, one point, what is it, $1.7 trillion, we've got a great industry, it provides great careers for us all, and I just thought it's time to reflect back on that with an attitude of gratitude, pardon the pun, and the rhyme, but um, and 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 look at the great things we've done, but also recognise we've left some on the table, we've left some behind, and we've got plenty more work to do before what I call this generation of guardians of super. I'd like to see the folks that have come through in the last thirty years and have done well, like myself, consider ourselves the guardians of super, and see what more we can do for super and make it stronger and make it better make it more resilient um, before we uh, before our careers um, maybe slow down. Mm-hmm. Let's let's go back to, to the broader amount. I think you mentioned 1.7 trillion. I think we're now at 2.7, almost $3 trillion. 2.7, is it? Yeah, okay, yeah. I'll get my, get my twos and my ones confused. So Sorry. we're, we're you know, an enormous industry, enormous um, you know, impact to, to the economy now. It's become a really critical piece to the puzzle. 
um, you know, I guess there's some questions around sort of its efficiency and is it becoming maybe as an industry a bit too bloated and that's sort of some of the pushback in terms of the merging of, of funds and trying to create efficiencies. You know, how, how do you think about sort of the structure of, of the industry? Look, look, there's no doubt we've got mergers and we've got to have mergers. And I was reading a fascinating paper recently from a foreign affairs magazine that spoke about one thing's happening out of this COVID is that it will just speed up the rate of change. So all of the themes, all of the issues we were talking about um, for the last five years will just get sped up. So it is a tax incentivized social contract. You know, so we contribute, we get a tax deduction, it's tax protected while it's invested um, and, and, and at the moment it's tax free when it comes out, whether that should be that way or not, it's another, another, another issue, but um, I don't think it'll remain that way. But um, it's still tax protected. Uh, my financial planner tells me it's still the best, and I, you know, and I look at it and can see it for myself. It's still the um, uh, the best way to um, accumulate uh, your retirement savings. So, with that in mind, we have to look to cost efficiency. Federal Treasury will always come up. I see it's come up in um, in uh, recently with uh, Senator Andrew Bragg's book and other other places. It'll always come up. It'll be an ongoing conversation, an ongoing debate to prove our value and to for net member returns, but also look at the cost of the entire system. So mergers have to happen. Back to your question on structure, um, there'll still be room for niche players, um, whether they will have to go back to an outsourcing secretariat type model. Um, there's, there, there, there are a lot of, you know, whilst we talk about engagement, there are some sectors with members that are quite connected to their um, to their funds. I work across a lot of super funds, talk to a lot of super fund uh, execs, super fund CEOs, CIOs, and um, they certainly believe uh, that uh, there's a um, you know in in certain um, uh, in, in certain probably industry cohorts. Interesting the discussion that's come out recently about the risk of narrow cohorts or otherwise. I think there's pros and cons with that. Um, but sure, there'll be mega funds, have to be mega funds, but we've got to see the cost dividend come through to the member. I'm not sure that that is a um, direct relationship yet that we're seeing coming through, um, but, um, but that needs to come. Mm-hmm. And I know, um, I know the politicians, Senator Hume and others, are pretty keen for that to come. Quite rightly, um, the taxpayers giving up uh, taxpayer dollars today, which could go towards hospitals and schools today um, for a future retirement benefit. They want to get a return for their buck, bang for their buck. You raised a couple of interesting areas there to take it. Let's maybe stick to to the tax protected piece, right, in, in terms that there is this tax benefit that comes from super and it could be allocated to, to other areas. You know, the whole premise behind super is to, to provide, you know, um, an income in retirement for members, but is the is the actual super system still fit for purpose with the types of work that people are doing? You know, we've got more gig economies, much more shorter term um, engagements, a lot of freelancers. You know, so some of these structures around the tax benefits that come from super and the way that people have been employed is changing. So, does super still, you know, serve that purpose? Yeah, look, I think you're touching on a couple of things there, Alex. Um, there's clearly an area in, uh, and there has been from day one with contractors um, and self-employed uh, individuals, uh, basically those that aren't employees, 
<clears throat> excuse me, not qualifying for a super guarantee. And we see numbers, and then with the gig economy um, and casualisation, um, which is going to be, I think, a big issue that will come out of um, uh, all these talks, uh, these accord-type talks happening in Canberra, um, there's more than a million, and I haven't looked at the APRA numbers for a while now, but there's well over a million in that category that aren't covered by SG. So um, they, they aren't getting the benefits, whether it's the uh, tax contribution benefits or the long-term benefits from, a, from a, a better quality retirement that could come. They're not getting that. They're not participating. But um, is the tax, if your question is, is, is the tax benefit divided up with equity across various income bands? Yeah, look, I think that's another question uh, that, that I'm not perfectly qualified to do, but it certainly seems that there's um, some um, pretty large accounts that would be attracting pretty large tax, uh, tax advantage. Um, and I think we do have to say if we're trying to get um, uh, a certain income band more engaged in, uh, in super, they, they certainly would want to feel that... Um, the, uh, the, the, not just the tax benefits, but the overall um, long-term saving benefits are, um, are skewed to their advantage. But look, there are others better qualified than that to answer that probably, Alex. Yeah, look, that's, that's fine. I think, I think my, more the question was around sort of the low end part of town that people that don't earn a lot of money or, or gig, gig uh, economies and suppose that the tax system is there designed to sort of encourage super, but you know, in this current work environment, the super system doesn't really help them in that way. That was where I was where I was trying to get at. Let's move. Yeah. Let's move to um, some of the other points that you talked about in terms of the people that you deal with across the industry. And um, there is still a lot of players. The industry is getting larger. You know, talent is a big part of that. You know, there's a lot of question marks around um, talent in in Australia, and and do we have the the right sort of resources, particularly as a number of the funds are starting to move from this outsource model to a in-source model um, yeah. and so I wanted to get your your thoughts given your experience in the industry as to, as to how that's happening and and you know the ability to also develop talent locally well look it's interesting um, I've been the beneficiary my practice has been a beneficiary of insourcing of investments into large super funds so uh, I'll have to you know in part talk my own book there but um, to be quite frank we're only following uh, I mean, a lot of that's been driven around cost. You know, every time I see um, uh, an investment operations executive from one of the big super funds or a CIO from one of the big super funds get up and that they're insourcing, um, you know, a large part of it's been about cost. Um, sure, they have to be competitive and there might be issues about how, um, uh, how and, and the big funds all have very professional in, and very good um, uh, investment professionals sitting on their investment committees making allocations and that. So they're, they're, I think the argument about they're gonna, how they're going to allocate to a team that might be underperforming internally versus a team externally, it's a competitive landscape, right, from returns and everything else and for their members. They're going to allocate to the right, the right investment teams uh, with the right risk profiles, etc. So I, I, I think um, that the, the so I wouldn't worry too much about that. The 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 bigger trend of insourcing, if that's one of your points there, is that we're only following what the Dutch are doing, what the Americans, Calsters, Calpers, these guys have been doing it for decades. 
they've been running internal and external ones in parallel and um, it's, it's worked for them from what I can see from the work that happens overseas. So um, it's going to continue uh, and um, uh, it'll have a, a cost measure as it should have um, and uh, they have to remain. And while we've got a very open um, comparative system, if that's the right word, you know, there's tables all the time. I do a bit of work uh, in the Northern Hemisphere as well, bringing sometimes bringing talent to your point about bringing talent. I'll come back to your talent question now. Bringing talent from the Northern Hemisphere to uh, to Australia. I've done that uh, for a, an, a number of funds and um, uh, sometimes that's what's required. So to further your point about talent, um, have we got the talent pool? Yes, we've got the talent pool largely in Australia. We often expat, uh, export uh, some good talent overseas. Now, some of that might be coming back and settling. So the talent's there. Um, there's always this, this argument about, um, um, about pay, um, but I've, I've moved um, some senior investment professionals into super funds and often it gets the time where, sure, they're a point in their career, they might be in their 40s or 50s and they're coming in as a CIO or coming in as a head of asset class and they basically said, I've done well, right? I've done well, I've been global, I've done well and that's why they're attractive to the super fund, by the way, and um, I want to get involved and maybe give back a bit. Um, I can still get paid okay, um, particularly now with super funds that are um, uh, recognising they need to provide performance incentives for key key areas, not just in investments. I think they need to look at them outside that too because it is a competitive market and these, as these funds get big and, and the commercial funds are here to stay and they provide a great competitive uh, tension to the industry funds. Um, so, look, um, the talent's here. We can grow it. We need to stop letting it bleed overseas. I'm a bit of a rugby fan, so uh, I see the rugby talent guys getting going overseas for the big dollars. Look, we we have a great 2.7, as you've corrected me, 2.7, and that's doubling every five years, those funds. So, And if I could just extend that answer a little bit more, Alex, when I do consult overseas and do talk to CIOs of big DB, defined pension funds over there, they are in awe of our ongoing cash flows, compulsory contributions. Uh, we know from the work that Mercer surveys that we are, you know, one of the best, I think it's top three pension funds, super funds in the world. Um, so the Northern Hemisphere guys to get access to our cash, cash flow and invest it and now we're investing it in nation building uh, assets, um, they... It's um, it's uh, there's some tremendous opportunities there, and we should be very proud of it. Mm-hmm. Look, it's a it's a fascinating place. I was also wanted to just touch on before we move away from talent is how have you seen the mindset change? You know, because the because the model has changed from all these traditional sort of contracted outsourced um, approach to to internal management. Yeah. You know, how is how do you look for different people? It's a very different skill to be able to sort of outsource versus the people who are actually managing money, sort of hands on. Uh, yeah, good point, good point. You know, it's interesting. Whenever I get asked, and I had this a little while back now, but I remember being introduced to a fund that I, uh, a fund here in Sydney, um, although a lot of work in Melbourne and Brisbane too where the big funds are, but they were looking for a new CIO. And um, the one question I asked them is, do you want an asset consultant or do you want an investor? 
And thankfully, they said they wanted a real markets investor. And I've got, you know, they're, they're, you know nothing wrong with ASIC. ASIC consultants have their place, but I think it's, it's very different to just being an asset consultant and coming straight into a fund that is going to start to roll out a direct investment program. Um, and, uh, you know, the complexity, um, you need great investment operations people, um, uh, you know, so the complexity is just enormous. And I think that's one thing that, that sort of... Um, and, and to be fair, that's where great people like the, the and the governance around direct investment. And that's great people and great work like the Roger Irwins at uh, Willis Towers Watson do globally. But to, to hire, um, I think, at, in that leadership role, you need to hire that gravitas and that experience in markets, that experience running teams. And a CIO these days is a people, it runs money, runs people that runs money and therefore runs people. As well, so if I'm, I don't know if I've said that correctly, but um, you know, it's and I wrote a piece actually in your magazine a few years back about the challenges of being a CIO, and it's uh, you particularly if you're in a super fund, you've got to you've got to communicate, you got to do video pods, uh, you got to do road shows, you've got to do uh, got to have the people piece, the business strategy, as well as running your investment team. Um, uh, so it's um, I, I would say a CIO of a super funds more complex in some of the pieces that they're doing that are well beyond um, uh, well beyond just straight investment and managing investment teams. Sure, they get they don't have to go and pitch for money. And that's another thing that, that reminds me, the, um, the senior folks that are brought across to uh, Superfund World, um, they have enjoyed the fact that they're not out there pitching in asset management land for to new clients for new money all the time. They actually get to spend more time on the business and on the investment um, uh, side of things. So, look, horses for courses, Alex. It's a, it's an incredible piece, actually, you just read, um, referred to, which is around the CIO and the changing role of the CIO because it's, it's one of the questions that I've spoken to many of the asset owners as part of our advisory boards yeah, and a lot of them are talking about sort of the CIO role moving further and further away from touching money or asset allocation, and it's interesting. You know, have you maybe I get two two parts to your to your thoughts around the changing role of the CIO around moving to more of an operational communications role, you know, or do we need to sort of you know have another role that's a COO role that does a lot of the team and managing the team, and the CIO is really hands on. How do you think about that piece yeah well look look i think a few um you touch on a role that's called a business manager or an investments business manager um and a number of the big commercial asset managers not so much super funds um uh, but commercial asset managers i can think of people like amp and colonial what's first sentient now and, and other places some of the big multi-assets ones and i think macquarie have them too um, so they've got lots of different, um, and those big commercial asset managers, when I consult there too a lot too, and they really run almost their, their uh, uh, I mean, some of them don't have pure CIOs and some of them actually where they might have their CIO role is actually playing as much of a business role across uh, various successful portfolio teams because you've got to remember inside commercial asset managers now, um, 
each of those asset classes or asset teams or portfolio teams are all uh, virtually sold uh, individually as as specialist teams with specialist um, products and, and investment solutions. So you know that global small caps and all, all those things. You know, so they're all sold. They're all they're all so. It used to be the day, you know, when I first started back in the uh, late 80s, 90s, you were selling a balance fund. And in fact, you were selling a balance fund. I had a sales team that was selling balance funds to advisors and to super funds, right? That's all they bought back in 92. They bought deferred annuities and balance funds. Um, So now uh, that same team uh, would be selling, you know, various asset sleeves, as you know. So the CIO in those businesses does play as much of a business role as a house communicator, as a house um, uh, bringing the house um, overall strategy and investment strategy together so there's one way. Uh, But uh, then each of those uh, PM teams or asset strategy teams have to also be uh, good communicators in their own right out there doing their roadshows and selling as well too. So, um, but the big, the bigger groups have business managers and even some of the super funds, I think, think of um, one of the big super funds in New South Wales here in Sydney that has uh, business and operations managers inside assisting the CIOs. So, yeah, look, they're in there. Um, um, I still think the, uh, there's room for the CIO in most super funds to uh, have their hands on the strategy, have their hands on the policy they're not running money themselves. They've got uh, they've got heads of asset classes who may be not running money themselves either. Uh, they're running um, various teams. It's it's funny and, you um, it's funny you say on. that though around around sort of the the CIOs not sort of doing the hands on money piece because I think if you ask the member on the street you know and they say okay here's the CIO what do you think the CIO does they would think that the CIO is sort of allocating money to different pieces taking all the information from all his team and 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 doing that. So it's just sort of wondering, you know, do we need to maybe even change that title of CIO? Maybe there's a head of investments and then there's some other operations piece. And, you know. Oh, yeah. Look, look I, I suppose it's a bit like what CEO, I mean, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm being a bit glib when I say what the CIO does, but they're certainly um, uh, running all those in, investment processes and investment decision-making processes, investment governance reporting to investment committees. So, um, but, you know, are they on the Bloomberg every day? When I say running money, I mean on the Bloomberg every day and making stock or, mm-hmm. or individual uh, asset uh, asset things. So, but, um, yeah, look, I think it's, it's, yeah, the member may think that, but I think the member's got to recognise and that's where, because they only see the CIO talking in their video pods and video casts and those sort of things. So um, they've got to remember, and it's hard, you know, the, the super funds themselves only show uh, key executive roles on their websites um, and uh, they don't realise that there's, you know, a cast of, uh, of a big cast of a team underneath that. Um, and it's, uh, and to your point, we've moved from the secretariat days of one investment manager sitting in a corporate fund or sitting in a small industry fund, choosing, um, uh, you know, requiring an asset manager, uh, an asset consultant, I should say, to help them make their decisions, and the asset man- the asset consultant, I keep on the asset consultant of old was essentially the outsourced CIO. Um, so we've moved a long way in that twenty years. To coming back to one of your earlier questions, Alex, mm-hmm. let's change tact a little bit. Um, you know, we talked a lot about superannuation, the changing um, 
you know, type of the role in, in superannuation to more sort of some of the dysfunction that we've seen with, with super. And I think some of that's come out with this early release scheme, people sort of questioning where's Canberra's motive um, and should super be seen as effectively a piggy bank. So I wanted to get your thoughts on on that piece of sort of... Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you brought me back to um, a recent book by a, re- a senator who's just launched it this week. Um, look, yeah, I, I've got to say that... Um, my view of super is a bit old school. I've uh, been around in it, as I say, almost 30 years. My view of super is it's pretty simple, and I think along the way we've got a bit too complicated. It is a tax social contract, give up some tax today, uh, or society gives up some tax today to fund retirement incomes for the future. Um, it is members' money, yes, but it is only members' money when they retire. It used to be pretty simple like that. Uh, and I don't know why it can't be simple like that. As soon as you start to have a lot more, um, um, even the matter of choice, you know, choice came in, I think it was mid-2000s. And whilst it allowed members to choose choice and sort of not be uh, necessarily auto, well, they were auto-enrolled through, they still are auto-enrolled, but then to get up and move that money to another fund, that triggered a lot of commercial super fund managers and in turn industry fund managers to create a whole lot of funds and sub funds and, and, and we have a whole lot of complexity today. Off, off the back of what I would say was, you know, well-intentioned choice, allowing member competition, et cetera, and supposedly putting more competition into the system. But we've got a lot of complexity and what comes with the complexity? A lot of cost. And so it's kind of interesting. You've got um, unintended consequences from um, from the Howard government, 2006, 2005, around that time for choice. Coming full circle 15 years later, we've got a new Liberal senator, um, Andrew Bragg, complaining about cost um, when it was the Liberals that really indirectly, uh, I'll say indirectly, brought in that cost. So certainly going back to my early days, I said earlier in 92, um, industry funds buying uh, deferred annuities uh, and balance funds, pretty simple. Now, okay, um, perhaps the co- and, and the cost has to come down uh, and that will be an internal debate with either side of government. Um, and, and that's where we've got to, the industry's got to come, uh, come to grips with that cost. Um, it's become complex, products have become complex um, and uh, and the commercial side, CEOs on the commercial side recognise that. Um, so cost is the biggie um, and uh, bang for the buck. And um, it's um, uh, whilst we, uh, and we have to, to be fair to uh, uh, Mr Bragg, Senator Bragg, he did talk about the overall tax deductions I think I saw in an AFR um, um, piece during the week the overall tax deductions and the overall cost. So if those numbers are accurate, then we do have to really um, um, look at the um, value and the um, efficacy of the whole system. But um, I, I'm, I'm not sure that um, one of his other premises was that members' money, it becomes an emergency ATM. Um, that's not where super's meant to be. Uh, we have to find other ways to fund these emergencies. That super could pivot, to use the term of the uh, of, of the time, and be agile uh, and support people. Great, 
um, and uh, in their time of need. But um, and I'm not going to go into you know who needed the money and who didn't need the money. Um, but uh, I think if we continue to dilute Super's mission or Super's purpose which I see as purely retirement incomes and nothing else, because that's what the long-term social contract's about, then uh, we do chip away at its um, at, the, at the solidarity we have. And um, it, uh, it does mean people have lower balances in the future. And I know it's a one in 100 year, so we're told one in 100 year, and we should be looking after people now. Great, we've done that but now we've got to have a better way of managing this because we're talking about having a housing savings plan. We're talking about having, we want to be a nation builder. So we're going to buy illiquid assets, all this hoo-ha about illiquid assets. We've got to have illiquid assets. We've got to be funding infrastructure. Um, we've got to be a nation builder, great. But then we can't also be an emergency ATM, can we? Oh, look, it's, a, it's an incredible um, issue where it's become, super's become this political football uh, and I sort of, you know, in, in my in my discussions around the early release, no funds were, were consulted first. And it seems as though even the industry associations weren't um, consulted. No, they were that. told. I know for a fact they were told. So, yeah, that brings us to another very interesting question. We've got a whole lot of um, industry bodies, IFA, ASFA, FSC, um, you know, that, that are out there. Um, they seem to, to, to not have the power in, in Canberra, you know, the, the banking sector has very strong um, associations yep. that, that push for them, you business, miners. You know, is, is there just a problem that maybe there's just too many associations floating around and so there's no clear voice to, to sort of represent super despite its size? Yeah, well, uh, as in this, um, this, this, this article that I've, uh, I've fin- I'll be finishing up for you on the weekend, Alex, um, disunity is death or to be more positively, unity is strength. And um, it may be hard to do, but we've got to do it until we have one strong association with one, with one strong vision that is about net member benefits, you know, members having a better quality of life in retirement than just purely the age pension, um, which has to come under pressure. Um, uh, so until we have one association, to your point, the miners get better results. The, 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 okay, the business has big business and there's a couple of business associations, but they are very focused on their constituency. We have essentially one constituency, superannuation members, represented by three big ones um, that you pointed out, FSC, ASFA, ISA. There are smaller ones. There are multiple think tanks. There's a su- super consumers association, which I didn't know existed until recently. Um, and, um, you know, and then... Well, well, it's, it's interesting, in the framework that you mentioned earlier of super funds merging, so if that's the paradigm of super funds merging rapidly over the next five years, then surely the industry association has to merge too. You know, uh, it's good for the goose, good for the gander. And um, uh, with, with that one focal point, that one strength, we can get ahead of this political football that is super. What do they say? Don't get in the way of a big pot of money. Don't put a politician in between a big pot of money, around a big pot of money. You know, it's um, we, um, um, uh, we, we, we need to get ahead of these, um, uh, get ahead of the agenda. We need to create the agenda. 
Uh, we have brilliant people uh, who write brilliant reports and do brilliant work, the David Knoxes, the Michael Rices. We have, and where, where do these, you know, I just don't see that these things get taken up fast enough. Well, not fast enough for my liking. And um, with one association representing us in a real politic way, in a smart, clever way, then we can do a lot. And that would really tap off the fact that, you know, um, I see super as, you know, we need to get super to the same level as Medicare, where if you touch Medicare, you get your fingers chopped off, right, as a politician. Don't, don't touch Medicare. Well, we need to get super to that level. You touch super, we're coming after you. Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, the other thing that's um, uh, I think part of the distraction is sort of this war that was happening between industry funds and retail funds, and, uh, and that's sort of been this clear distraction um, well, if we had one association, Alex, you know, we wouldn't have these interfamily, internecine feuds. Mm. We we have more that binds us than what divides us. Yep. You know, if we're all focused on member purpose, then what binds us together is far greater than what divides us apart. So it may be hard to do, but until we get that sorted, one association, then we get onto the purpose for what super's about, which I've been banging on about. Apologies. And then we get on. We can start to do some other things like coverage for the people that aren't that aren't covered. The one, one over one million we mentioned earlier. Um, there's a lot to be done, and I'd like to be part of a super, you know a, what I call the first generation of super 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 guardians that we can do a lot more because we've got a lot to be proud of, and but we can do it better, and we can therefore put to one side this political um, stuff that the politicians come out and we can be ahead of them. Last question then in terms of um, this sort of this guardianship, do we then need some sort of a, a DNA that, that represents super? Do we need to re reframe that um, or is the existing system still okay? Uh, yeah, well, look, you know, I, I suppose there's it's been to your point, um, it comes back to coming together Super's developed down the industry fund route and, and that you might call that one tribe and it's developed down the commercial uh, uh, route. And, and, and the commercial route's really kicked on um, since choice and uh, that's been fine. But both sides have added cost because um, one wants to keep up with the other and you know, keep up with the Joneses. But, you know, we, we, we do need to set aside uh, this tribal DNA um, and have one national or supranational uh, DNA, and our DNA should simply be, we're here for our members. If our members, and that should that should feed through to what I'd love to see is some sort of super way, you know, once we get the super association organised, um, then we can get, you know, have some agreement on the purpose of super uh, and get that um, hammered through with the uh, with uh, legislation and regulation and enacted, and then we can get to these other problems. It all comes back to one association, and um, but I'd like to see some sort of superannuation ombudsman uh, or or commission that um, is an expert panel takes submissions from stakeholders about um, uh, what needs to change, and it's done in an expert way. Um, not just a parliamentary committee, which isn't isn't stacked with experts. Um, an expert panel uh, that um, then uh, can review all our all the regulation and see is there if there's a net member benefit 
to some of this regulation we've got. We are hugely regulated. Um, some would say hugely over-regulated. Um, but, you know, regulation comes about because, mo because industries can't self-regulate sometimes, you know, and, and if we wish to reduce the level of regulation, we need to ensure we can really well self-regulate and look after ourselves. That would be a lot better if we had one association that, that um, and, you know, one, to one of your points earlier about um, member engagement, I think we came across it, is think what we could do with um, public education, a great public education campaign to turn super into that Medicare, what I call national institution. We need a huge public education program from schools all the way up so that when you know when you're going into work at 16 as a part-time student, a part-time a part worker, full-time student, you know that super means something. It's going to do something for me. And we may add on a home savings plan to it on top, not as part of the retirement piece. SG should always be for retirement, and I, don't, I disagree with Andrew Bragg there, if that's his point about trying to chip away at SG and divert that into housing. SG is for super. You can add on something for housing. And I know Singapore has a multi-fund national multi-fund that adds in housing and I think health as well as retirement. But it's in addition. We can't chip away at our retirement. Um, we're only the first generation in. We'll get it right and, and, and uh, we'll get the cost down. And, and, but we've got a lot to be proud of the first 30 years, what it could be in the next 30 years if we had one association really rowing all together. All right, that's been fantastic food for thought there, Michael. Thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening and uh, thanks very much. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us. All views expressed on this podcast are subject to change and do not necessarily reflect the views of Connexus Financial. This podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice.